This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's important to remember that a presentation, a public speaking event is a performance. It requires an elevated form of communication and an elevated commitment from the speaker. It's not sitting around the table after dinner, after a couple of glasses of wine, just shooting the breeze with your family or or your friends. You are there for a specific reason. You have a clear objective. The audience has expectations. They expect you to be prepared. And because of that, it requires an elevated commitment from you mentally, emotionally, physically, vocally. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Season 14, kicking off today with a topic that I think is uh, relevant to all of us, and that is we're going to be talking about presentations and better presentations. And in particular, we'll be hitting diving into virtual presentations, although certainly in person as well. Uh, Before I introduce our guest, uh, your final reminder, it is the final uh, reminder I'm going to give. Uh, we're closing enrollment in that uh, group coaching mastermind. So if you have been waiting and thinking, oh gosh, yes, I want to be in that small group. I want to get the my specific leadership management questions answered live by David and talk with other people who have them too. Now's the time. Get your uh, uh, email, david.die, D-Y-E at letsgrowleaders.com. Let me know, and uh, I still have a couple spots left open for that, and we're going to close enrollment uh, one week from today. So looks like September 1st is our cutoff, so get your email in by September 1st, and I look forward to uh, working with you and answering those questions. All right, let's introduce our guest today. Her name is Jacqueline Farrington. She has over 20 years' experience as a change maker, empowering leaders and their teams to spark transformation and innovation through communications. She works with senior and board level leaders as the founder and president of Farrington Partners and is the author of a book we're gonna be talking about today called The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro Virtually or in Person. I am so excited to bring you some of the content from this book. Uh, Jacqueline, as I was uh, reading through it, I kept underlining going, yes, it's certain things that I have believed, but I have never seen in print. And I've even taught people when I'm, you know, I don't do uh, formal presentation coaching the way you do, but as I'm talking with people, so I'm excited to get into those. Jacqueline Farrington, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Wow, that is quite an endorsement, David, and thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're excited you're here. We can all use more presentation skills. So, uh, uh, you, I know you've listened to the show before, so before uh, we get into the book, I have to ask you to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Yes, other than when I was probably eight years old and I was the the kid on the playground who other kids asked to settle disputes about where we were going to play kickball or <laughs> wherever that was. I, and then I, I kind of lost that as I, I had troubled teen years. 
But when I was 15, I was down with a church youth group working in Mexico for the summer. And we were working at an orphanage and we were helping to build buildings on the orphanage and, and teaching the kids, working with the kids. And there was a, a little girl, beautiful little girl, this big head of curly hair and this kind of mischievous impish smile. She was probably about five and she had been raised in a brothel. And so she had learned, and I think she had suffered some abuse there as well. Sure. And she had learned that to get gain love, gain attention, acceptance with men, she had to behave in a certain way that was quite inappropriate. And I remember sitting there at a, a conversation with the youth group leaders about this little girl, and they were talking about the fact that she probably should not be included in some of the, the activities that we were doing with the other kids because of, of her behavior. And I felt so strongly that that was wrong. It, mm -hmm. it actually brings tears to my eyes today to, to, to think about this. And I, and I felt like um, I needed to say something, but I was terrified. I was 15 years old and church leaders. And, but I spoke up and I said, I feel that this is, we're making this about us. And that's not why we're here. We're not here because of us. We're here because of little girls exactly like her. And what a, a amazing opportunity, beautiful opportunity to teach her that she doesn't have to behave that way to get love and, and attention, to show her that there are other ways to behave. So they ended up making the decision then to include her through the, the rest of the summer. And for me, that was a big lesson. I, I kind of went on to continue my, my troubled teen years, my rebellious years, but I think about that every day because I think often people will approach me and ask me about finding their voice and building that, that confidence to speak out in meetings. And one of the things I'll say to them is, can you find a way to speak out where it's not about you? Mm -hmm. It's about the organization or you are speaking out because you're an ally, because you're supporting a, a colleague in a meeting. And that can often be a way to get us outside of ourselves and attached to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves that then gives us that impotence, uh, impetus and that confidence to speak out. There's so much power in that when we're we're speaking on behalf of someone else and, and you use the, the metaphor of bringing a gift to someone to your audience and gosh, all of the, the ways that that moment of that experience translates into the work you do today, it's very powerful. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's also what propelled me to study acting because I became so curious about human behavior and how, and of course, acting is all about studying human behavior and bringing the reality, the truth of that onto, stay, onto the stage. And then also how we influence others through not just our words, not just our stories, but through our body language, through, through our voice. And that, uh, that sense of acting, we'll get into that in just a moment. I'm glad that you brought that up. So we're talking with Jacqueline Farrington. The book is The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro, Virtually or in Person. And so just a few uh, of the bullet points uh, that the book opens with. That In this book, you're going to learn how to, and I hope we're going to get some of these 
today, even in the time we have together. Uh, in the book, you'll learn how to start with strategic presence, break away from expected presentation formulas, build inclusion with your audience. Uh, I love this one, manage challenge, surprising or annoying questions with finesse. Um, using improvisation to think on your feet and much more. So just a, a glimpse of some of the things we're going to get today from Jacqueline. And I want to uh, note that this book, it's a, a fantastic reference if you want to improve your your presentation skills. Hey, Jacqueline, you have included uh, templates, downloads, tutorials, videos. This is a resource-rich book. It's not just like read some words, tell you. You've got examples. You've got so many different ways that people can benefit from this. So, uh, well done in terms of how you've put the whole thing together. It's really good. Thank you. All right. So let's let's start early on in the book. I, I don't know, introduction for chapter one. Pretty early, you say something along the lines of that uh, when we're thinking about presentations, we should think like an actor. And for people who don't know acting the way you just described it, I might go, ah, that doesn't make sense. I thought I'm supposed to be authentic. I thought I'm supposed to be real. I'm not supposed to go up there and like put on this performance. But the way that you just described acting is it's all about reality and real human experience. So talk to us about what it means to think like an actor and why we should start there as a way to think about what we're doing. So the, the, there's the performance piece of presentations and, and then there's self. And I, I'd like to address both self within that performance. It's important to remember that a presentation, a public speaking event is a performance. And by that, I mean that it requires an elevated form of communication and an elevated commitment from the speaker. It's not sitting around the table after dinner, after a couple of glasses of wine, just shooting the breeze with your family or, or your friends. You are there for a specific reason. You have a clear objective. The audience has expectations. They expect you to be prepared. And because of that, it requires an elevated commitment from you mentally, emotionally, physically, vocally. And within that, it's important to show up authentically. And so when we think about actors, it's often the sense, yes, of playing other people, but playing other people through the, the lens of ourselves. Um, when I was studying acting, we had a whole year of exploring our, our values. We, we called them themes. What, what are values and, and themes that propel you to action in life? Because you have to start there. So maybe it's injustice and, and a sense of fairness. That, that might be one. And so understanding, starting with yourself and understanding that even if you have to borrow from colleagues or, or other speakers to flex your style, it's still through the, the frame, the lens of you. In other words, when we see Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher, we know that it's not Margaret Thatcher. It's Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher. So it's Margaret Th Thatcher through the lens of who Meryl Streep is. And if it doesn't start first authentically with her, it's, it's going to ring false for us as the audience. So I think that's really important for speakers is to, to start first with self and, and those basic tenets of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-management. You got to start there first as a speaker. 
And the, the part that, uh, to emphasize something you said right at the beginning about the audience and that we are there to serve that audience. And we may have an agenda of our own to maybe get a pitch across, to sell a new idea to our team or to an executive group or an update on a, an ongoing project for which we want confidence that the team, that everybody believes in us and what we're doing, or we need to ask for more resources or whatever it is, but there's always the audience. There's always the people and so that regard for them that you just talked about and why we elevate and why we take a step up, I think that's critical for us to think about. And probably one of the places a lot of people don't think about and immediately get themselves into trouble when they're heading into these situations. Yes. Yeah, so starting with the audience first is is always crucial. And, and of course, understanding not just what they know about your topic, which is important because you don't want to start throwing a bunch of information at them that they already know. That's particularly important when you're speaking to executive audiences, mm -hmm. but also understanding what their expectations are, what their needs are. And then you mentioned strategic presence. So I, I talk a lot about strategic presence with, with my clients. It's showing up in the way that you need to show up so that this particular audience can hear this particular message in this particular situation. And then asking yourself, okay, for this audience to hear this message, how do I need to show up in this moment? Still being true to yourself, um, it can be you at your best listening self, or it can be you at your most inspirational, but it's still adapting to meet, to, to rise up to the audience and the message and the situation. The needs of the situation, the occasion. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about presence a little bit. You've got uh, three C's of presence that you talk about, confidence, conviction, and connection. And um, so run us through those at a treetop level. Then I want to dive a little bit into this, because this is where I thought some of the goal that I just I have like triple asterisk. Yes, 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 yes. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, confidence is about being able to be present and confident regardless of what comes your way. And, and I also call it confident uncertainty. There may be times where you don't have an answer to a question or something happens completely unexpected in the room and you have to deal with it. Mistakes happen or maybe you make a mistake. So it's being able to manage those with, with confidence, not falling apart. And then connection is about how do you connect with, with your audience? How do you build that rapport, that relationship, and that emotional uh, tone in the world? Sorry, in the room, that emotional connection. And then conviction is, is speaking from your values. So understanding when you're delivering a message, here's why this is important to, to me. Here's what I value in, in this and, and finding that sometimes that one is challenging for people. I often have people say to me, yeah, but what if I'm delivering something that I don't believe in, which does happen. So sure. then it's a question of, is there something in here that you can believe in or find something that you value in terms of what this will do for the audience? And, you know, and let's just take that for just a second. As leaders, uh, often you can have a policy decision that's been made that goes counter to what you or your team wanted. That's life. It happens. Uh, hopefully we've done the work to figure out the why behind it and we can help explain that. But there's always opportunity in that that we can connect to as leaders 
which goes back to our confidence, conviction values of how to best serve our team in that. And so owning it, taking responsibility and saying, yes, this is the decision that was made. This is why it was made. I know, I recognize maybe it wasn't what we would have chosen. And there's an opportunity now for us to figure out how to be our best selves in this. And, you know, we have opportunities as leaders. We shouldn't, we don't want to, we want to be careful not to just throw all the, (laughs) throw all that away because the decision didn't go our way. That, that's right. And and I think it's it's really important when decisions are made that um, we didn't agree with, we felt it should go a different direction and then asking ourselves, okay, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for me to deliver on this? Because I have to. And that is, again, maybe there's another value you have around in- integrity or um, a- around your your care for the organization that you can yeah. then stand behind, or as you pointed out, your care and concern for the team. And, and as we're talking about this, just for listeners' clarity, we're not talking about an immoral, illegal decision. It's just, we're talking about a policy decision that didn't go, hey, I would have chosen A, they chose B, okay, we'll go with B, right? So different different situation. All right, so let's get into conviction because this is where you have a couple of tips uh, uh, in in this section around conviction. And I think I also felt like there was some good overlap with confidence too. Uh, And this was, so we just talked about aligning with your values and tapping into that value. You have two of these phrases that uh, I just think were so valuable, aim for helpful, not good. And I just think that's brilliant. And and I'll, in full disclosure, talk about one of my worst, worst presentations I ever got. I have two or three that like, I could count them on one hand, but oh my goodness. And one of them was, I went in to a board meeting. This was a board presentation. It was my first ever presentation to the uh, executive board. Determined to be good. They are gonna, they are gonna be so glad that I got promoted in this role because just watch how good I'm gonna be. <laughs> oh my goodness, it was a disaster for all the reasons that you're going to help us understand why. Why should we aim for helpful, not good? Yeah. Well, when we think about aiming for helpful, number one, it gets us outside of ourselves. When we are going for good or perfection, 100% focused on ourselves. All about me. All about me. And boy, what better way to invite the self-critic into the room? And so the self-critic shows up because it's all about me. It's all about being good or perfect or successful. And self-critic rears its ugly head and starts to just pick apart everything that that we're doing. And of course- In real time. (laughs) In real time. And it's the self-critic. So everything is wrong. Everything is not going well. Um, Helpful is about the audience and it's about the message. It gets your attention off of yourself. That That's something that I learned in acting training and, and taught then. I, I taught it at the Yale School of Drama for many years and taught actors as well, which is get your attention off of yourself. You get your performance off of the other person, get your attention off of yourself. So when we think about showing up to be in service of, showing up to be helpful, it then becomes about the audience and it becomes about the message, why we're there, then we can pull out the self-critic and the, the I need to be good, I need to be perfect later when we want to debrief that. And even that then becomes not was I good, but what could I do in further service of the audience? Yeah, that's right. It's a great point. Beautiful point. 
You know, and the, the, the reason that I think, and this is my interpretation, uh, that the overlap, the, the interplay here between conviction and confidence is, so when I think about stage fright and when I have had it, when other people have had it, you know, that, that nervousness we get in presentations, it's genu- generally, my experience seems to be, it's because we're focused on ourselves as opposed to, oh, I'm here to serve them. Right. So like for me, the metaphor is if like if I'm working at uh, you mentioned like the the orphans that you were working with or if I'm working in a, uh, a kitchen for Thanksgiving and I'm bringing people food as I'm bringing them a plate of food or a cup of coffee, I'm not focused on me. I'm focused on getting them their food and there's no stage fright. There's no nerves about, gosh, am I going to look right giving them their food? It I gets the attention differently. Yeah, absolutely. And and I used to say that to my my students, if you go in for a job interview or an audition and you can't walk out of the room telling me what was in the room, what colors were in the room, what they looked like, what what did people say, what were their facial expressions like, how, what were they wearing? Chances are it didn't go the way you wanted it to go because your attention was 100% on you. Mm. So, when you think about showing up to be helpful, get your attention off of yourself and onto the room, the environment, and the people that you're communicating with. And related to that, you talk about connecting with a bigger purpose. And we mentioned this earlier, remember the gift. Yeah. Uh, and so those are some other dimensions of this same concept, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, Remember the gift comes from Chris Anderson, who runs TED. And I was a senior speaker coach at Seattle TEDx for many years. And so that is all about what's the one gift. So that also gets your attention off of yourself. Yes, but it also uh, clarifies your message. Mm -hmm. What's the gift, the one gift? What's your idea that you're there to share with the audience? Not 30 gifts, but just one. And so in a TED talk, makes sense there's that that one idea worth sharing absolutely what about in a, a business presentation and what most of our listeners are going to be doing more of that they're thinking about okay how do i apply this how do i think about the one gift in that gosh what is the gift i'm bringing i've, I've got to do an update on this i got to do a project status update or a, a got to pitch this idea and you know we need more resources for it you know what's what where do i find the gift in that context well, if you're giving a project update or you're you're pitching a new idea, it can be helpful to have the frame of um, what does this do for X? What does this do for the CEO? What does this do for the, the organization? the The gift can also be um, what do I what's the one piece of action that I need from the audience or what's the question that I need answered? and why is that? important to them? Why is that important to the organization? So um, it might be a little more, a little different reframe than than a TED talk, because yes, a TED talk, you're there to share one idea, but it's still thinking about that one takeaway message. So when the audience walks out of this room, what's the one thing I want to be, have them burning in their minds? And, and so that's either the question that I need answered, that's the decision that needs to be made, or with a project update, then they need to understand, here's the headline around the project update. 
in terms of how it's doing. What's the health of the project? What are some issues? What's going well? Um, and I, I often say to clients, put that into one newspaper headline, seven words or less. So you, it's almost like writing a piece of poetry. If you think about poetry, distills an idea. And so thinking about that seven words or less newspaper headline, you may never actually share that with the audience, but for you, it helps you get crystal clear on here's my one thing that they need to walk away from this meeting with. And gosh, that clarity is just so vital. And if you don't have that for yourself, there's no way your presentation or audience are going to have that clarity. No, because then you'll tend to put way too much information in. Um, if, if you don't have that clarity, you'll you'll just start to throw the kitchen sink into it rather than saying, okay, this is my clarity. This is what I know. Now, what actually is crucial, critical that needs to go into my presentation to support that? And then if I've got more time, what could they know? And, and then I call it the the sitting around with a bottle of wine later in the, the evening. What what should they know? But it's really not very important. Yeah. You know, as you're I'm, I'm laughing as you're talking because you just reminded me of a conversation I had with a, uh, a CEO, a large company in another country. But he was lamenting the presentations that he sees. Uh, he's the CEO of the, the organization, the large uh first level C, C team. And he'll hear presentations, he said, from throughout different levels of the organization. And he said that it drives me crazy. Like there's really just one ask or one important piece of information, maybe two at most, but I get these presentations and they just, they're 85 slides and they're just this overwhelm. And, and uh, so if you're doing that, you're not fooling anybody for what, because, you know, as we talked about it, I said, is it possible that they're really trying to bury the lead so they don't get a reaction out of you? And he said, almost a hundred percent, as you say that I would agree. So if we're doing that, we're hiding from what would be most in service to our audience, even if it's challenging, right? Yeah. And, and I think particularly when you're presenting to executive audiences, you got to lay down that gauntlet right at the top why are you here? And then stick to that crucial information. And so that that's something I talk about later in the book, laying down the gauntlet. That's just one simple, bold statement. It might be slightly provocative, but hello, that's going to wake people up, pay attention to what you're saying. And then you support that with that crucial information and then allow, particularly if it's a senior audience, allow them to ask more about the coulds and the shoulds. And that gets into the final section of the book about engagement and questions and things. We'll, we'll go there in just a little bit, but the, but it's okay to be prepared for, in fact, it's good, right? To, to think through and be prepared for what questions might come up, but we don't need to overwhelm with all that information up front. We can have it available in anticipation of what might be needed, but stay crystal clear on the point we're trying to get to. That's right. And then you can have an appendix in, in a, in a deck and you can leave that with people. If, if it's meant to be read, give it to them. <laughs> Presentations are not reading, they're two different things. That's right, so just hand that out either before or after the meeting. All right, so we're still talking about presence here, uh, talking with uh, 
Our guest today, Jacqueline Farrington. The book is The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro, Virtually or In Person. And like I said, we've been talking about presidents, uh, pres presidents, presence, your confidence, your conviction, your connection. Jacqueline, what are some, you mentioned too much information. So that's a presence killer where we're just putting out way too much information, lack of clarity. What are the other presence killers that we should be aware of? What's going to take down our presence if we're not focused on the things that you've given us? Well, not to sound too obvious, but not being present. <laughs> so, so being present is foundational to creating presence. And so having your brain in the room, and we talked about that a, a few minutes ago, not being distracted with what you've got to do after the meeting and, uh, or what am I going to have for lunch later in the day? But it, it's also thinking physically and, and vocally. So doing a, a healthy voice, body, mind warm up before you walk into the room so that you feel you can support your message with your nonverbal communication, with your vocal communication, that you can engage with your body and, and your voice so that it's not, it's not dead, <laughs> right? Um, audiences habituate to how we're speaking. And so if we just kind of talk like this and we just go on and on and on and on and we make every word the same, their brains will habituate, their brains will go, oh, I know how this person is speaking. No surprises here. Don't really need to pay attention. So my brain is going to go to planning my trip to Europe later in the summer. And then I might come back in and check in with this speaker, but I'll have missed a, a lot of things. So uh, thinking about as we're communicating this idea of contrasting and contrasting is switching up what we do with our voice, what we do with our body that in a way it, it shocks the listener's brain into paying attention because if we were once talking really loud and suddenly we pause and we bring it down, boom, they're going to pay attention. Or if we were just standing still in, in one place and suddenly we're moving around the audience or we're moving into the audience, boom, that's going to bring their attention into the room because we're doing something different. And we do that on those new ideas, those new words um, that that bring in a new idea or a new emotion move it moves to a different place in in the talk. So let's let's go with that for just a moment because I, this is something I see a lot of folks struggle with is um, and, and I've seen presentations, powerful, powerful presentations where the person stood, two feet rooted to the stage in one place for 30, 40 minutes, did not move her feet, but she just sucked everybody in mm -hmm. with her story, all the things that you just talked about and the different shifts and things. And then you've got other people who will move around and, and so on. And yeah. then you've got the people who move too much. And it's like, they're, they're, you just recommended changing on new ideas or for to emphasize a point or to, change things up but then you've got folks that sometimes are just constantly you know yeah. a blur of motion and all over the place and that becomes its own kind of white noise almost so yeah. how do we what is the way of finding us and, I, and i'm going to take that first us so how do i find myself and the right way of going about the variety that you just described for me yeah. me being any listener 
And then I want to take that to the virtual screen because obviously we've got limitations there too. So let's start with finding ourselves and our best self in terms of how we're showing up. And then what does that look like virtually? Yeah, you know, one thing I think is important with body language and voice, it's it's got to be attached to meaning and intent. So if you think about the speaker that you saw who spoke for 34 minutes and was compelling, rooted in one place, that's probably because that behavior supported the meaning of what she was saying and the intent, the way that she was trying to make you feel, which is how I define intent. And if I give the context, she was a survivor of the genocide in civil war in Rwanda and was telling about, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so why move a, a lot when, when telling that, that story? Um, so I again, it's always important to start with yourself and, and your content and first stand up on your feet and just deliver the content out loud and notice how what your body wants to do, what your voice wants to do. Pay attention to that. When I'm working with a speaker, um, let's say there's somebody who stands still through the, the whole thing, but I'll watch for little telltale signs that they wanted to move. Maybe they just, it's a shift forward on their feet or a shift sideways. So then I'll go back and question, you know, in this part, you actually looked like you wanted to move a little bit and they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I did, but I didn't feel comfortable. So then it's exploring, okay, if you noticed that you were shifting your weight and that's all in that moment, then explore moving and see how, how that feels. If you think about a, a speaker who paces, that's movement that is unattached to meaning and intent. So again, go back to your, your content and how are you trying to make your audience feel? You gotta start with that. And then ask yourself, what feels right? If, if I'm thinking about, I need to make my audience feel concerned here. How does moving back and forth across the stage make them feel concerned. Let me try that then, making them feel concerned just staying still. And then if I'm a mover, if I really have that that tigger impulse to move a lot, then let me find other places where I, I can move, but let me attach it to purpose, meaning, and so that I'm I'm thinking about Okay, I'm moving here because maybe I want to make them feel a little, I've made them feel concerned. Now I want to make them feel alarmed and I want them to take action. So I'm going to actually make eye contact with the left side of the audience and move towards them to connect with them. So then you're trying to move with clear uh, purpose and destination. You know where you want to go and you know why. You know why you're going there. Hmm. And so let's take that those concepts then to this venue. You and I are talking with one another over a, a virtual screen. So we're in a small box. Um, how do we start to apply some of those principles in that environment? Yeah, well, in, in the virtual world, because we're missing 75% of what we get in, in person, it's important to show as much of your body as possible. So you wanna stand about two or three feet away from your camera and so that we can see at the very least the you from the chest up, if not the, the waist up. 
And then you want to make sure that you're gesturing in the frame, <clears throat> which means that your gestures need to get a little smaller, a little more nuanced, and they need to be around your face and around your chest. What you want to try to avoid is gesturing out of screen so we can't see it or just below the screen where all we see are little stick fingers and we're not really sure what you're doing with, with your gestures. And then of course, eye contact and, and facial expressions. Um, so looking in your camera, if you're not 100% comfortable with looking in your camera, it does take practice. It does take getting used to just move the videos of your audience up as high as you can on your screen, that will at least keep your eyes up so that the audience has the gift of your eye contact. And then with facial expressions, a really useful exercise is to just take one or three, two or three lines from your, your content and say to yourself, I'm, I'm gonna say this line, trying to make my audience feel happy. Now I'm gonna try to make my audience feel concerned. Now I'm gonna try to make them feel angry and overact it overdo it so that you're starting to just experiment with the range of your facial expressions. Now, you're not going to do that as much on the day, but if you have 2% of that, when you're actually speaking in your presentation, you'll have brought it a little more to life. You know, you'll have stretched kind of your, your emotional capacity a bit so that what you're delivering is right. more than it would have been. Is, is there a, is the reason that we're doing that, is there a What's the word I'm looking for? Is emotion lost in the virtual? Like if I'm throwing some emotion and I'm talking into the camera, into the microphone, and I would have a certain amount of emotion if you were here with me in person, mm. does that diminish? And maybe this is a dumb question. I don't know. But or maybe the question is, to what extent does it diminish over this venue? It does because the camera, it shrinks us, it flattens us. Most of the time we're this little tiny thumbnail. <clears throat> Be sure if you're using slides that you ask your audience to either minimize the slides and maximize your video, or at least make them 50-50 equal so that you're not this tiny little picture down there. And it's also important in the virtual to bring emotive words, more emotive words into your, your speaking. Even if that's just asking the audience, how do you feel about what we just talked about? So you're reminding them of, of emotion, um, yeah. but, but then also bringing adjectives and adverbs, active verbs into your, your speaking so that you bring that alive. And then of course you're using your gestures, your facial expressions and your voice to emphasize the, those words. Okay, well then I wanna practice what I've been taught and quickly, rapid ad, ad, uh, adverb there, ask you, how are you feeling, Jacqueline? <laughs> I'm feeling very well, thank you. Fantastic, oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, let's take a, a beat here before we go to some of the, the other uh, uh, topics here in this um, powerful conversation and book on better presentations. And uh, you've got so a wealth of resources here for, for readers and listeners. Uh, where should we find you, find the book, connect with you? Where should we go for more? The book is on all major booksellers and best place to reach me is on LinkedIn, Jacqueline Farrington. And then the company website is farringtonpartners.com. Fantastic. 
Uh, and listeners, I really do hope you'll take advantage of this resource. It's a great, I mean, I've, you can imagine I have read a great many books on uh, presentations, presentation skills, and this is one of the most current and topical that you're going to find out there. And like I said at the top of the show, such a wealth of supportive resources to help you with your presentation. So make sure and check it out. Again, our guest today is Jacqueline Farrington. The name of the book is The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro, Virtually or In Person. So uh, let's continue talking virtual for just a moment because you had some interesting research uh, that I had not seen, and so this was news to me as I was reading, about our backdrops, our backgrounds in a virtual setting and what we should be doing ideally. There's a range, and different people have different situations, but what's going to be most effective for us? Yeah, it's interesting. Early in the pandemic, I kept thinking, oh, why am I just so exhausted with all these green screens? And then lo and behold, Harvard came out with this research that that shows that green screens, not only do they exhaust the audience, but they mistrust them. And what they trust are seeing parts of ourselves behind us. So of course you don't want, we don't want to see your dirty dishes. We don't want to see your unmade bed. Um, But having a a background that reflects a little bit of you, of of your personality, builds more trust with with the audience. And so that's important. It also creates what we call proprioception. Proprioception is understanding our brain, understanding spatial relationships. With a green screen, because you can't tell how far away I am from that background, that's another reason why your brain gets so exhausted. Whereas if I have a real background, your brain can better gauge how far I am from that. So it has to work less hard to connect with me. Proprioception. Proprioception, spatial awareness. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I didn't I never thought about that. Uh, in terms of how our brains would work that way. And yeah, be exerting all that extra energy to to try to figure things out that we're not even consciously aware of. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I think in, in fairness, right, early pandemic, everybody is, we're doing the best we can. You've got, you know, three people sharing a dining room table trying to make things work. Yeah, we go to the, the virtual to blur it out and um, and just make things work. We're talking more at this point in your being conscious about getting ready to do a presentation. A, you recommended stand-up, so getting ourselves in a situation like that if we're in a virtual scenario, um, and and then paying attention to our background. So we're gonna recommend physical, not the blur or the, the what do you say, the, the Golden Gate Bridge or the Millennium Falcon or something. What do you say in the book? No Millennium Falcon unless you're doing a presentation about Star Wars. <laughs> and we're, then we're good. Well, maybe, but then, but then here's the thing with how your brain works. And and if, let's say you are doing a presentation on Star Wars. It's better to have a, a real background behind you. Get a get a screen if you want to take a picture and put it on a screen behind you rather than a green screen. It's the green screens that exhaust people's brains. So if, if or if you're presenting in, bless you, if you're presenting in your bedroom, and you you can't speak from any other place but your bedroom, get a piece of paper, just a colored plain piece of paper, hang it on the wall b- behind you or, or put it on a, a screen behind you so it hides your unmade bed. That's better than a green screen. 
Yeah. Still it's a physical, there's a the reality to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Assuming we have some flexibility in what we're doing, what do you recommend? I'm looking at your backdrop. There's, you've got some nice bookshelves and different books. Um, I think there's a flower in there. What, uh, what do you recommend? Well, I mentioned personal. I have a, a client who he's a huge football soccer fan. So he's got some world cup things, but behind him, you don't want to clutter it. So you don't want to overpower you so much that the audience is sitting there trying to figure out what the heck is in your background, but you, you called out my flower. Well, I'm a gardener. And so that is actually a flower that I grew. So it's it's helpful to have some things that are conversation pieces that people might want to ask you about. I'm really curious about this lion that you have behind you, David. This cartoon. Uh, so for our listeners, if uh, if you follow any of our our work, you'll be familiar with the lions that Jacqueline's asking about. But yes, we have a, a full size courage lion sharing ideas in alignment with courageous culture. So we have a variety of these that are in our various studio sets and on stage with us in different circumstances and, and things like that. There you go. So those are two items in both of our backgrounds that reflect something not only about us personally, but about our values, things that are important to us. Hmm. All right. So get some personal in there, um, physical, not too cluttered to the best we can. All right. Let's see. Oh, gosh, we are running out of time. I could talk presentation and presentation skills all day long. All right. Let's uh, two questions if we can do both of these. I think first I want to get to rehearsal uh, and the idea of in, uh, this is so important. I think internalizing versus memorizing. Let's start with that and how to rehearse, how to internalize, not memorize. And then I want to end with Heller's. Okay. So internalizing versus memorizing. Memorizing is about memorizing things by rote. We memorize telephone numbers so that we can then go to the telephone and quickly dial it. It has, it's not attached in any way to meaning or intention, which we talked about earlier. Internalizing is attaching our words to meaning, emotion, intention, movement, how we're, we're using our voice, which words are we emphasizing and how are we emphasizing them? So it means standing up and speaking out loud and moving, trying out different ways of using your body and your voice as you're rehearsing so that it commits it to your long-term memory. And you then, when things are committed to long-term memory, it's unconscious. It's like driving. It becomes a skill like driving. We don't have to think about it. And you do not want to have to be thinking about all those things in performance day on performance day. You want to be thinking about your audience and your message. So stand up, speak aloud. Rehearsal does not equal reading from the page. And so it's, you know, I, I just, that is so important because when you talk about answering questions, when you talk about interruptions, when you talk about you know, anything at all, if it's internalized and we have that command of it, we're able to go there and roll with the punches and be in the moment with our audience and serve them as opposed to, oh gosh, I don't know what I was saying. That's right. And Slido recently came out with some, some research that shows that audiences now prefer to be in the driver's seat. They prefer to be able to say, hey, this is where we would like to go with this presentation. And in fact, they respond very well to speakers who stand up and say, here are some topics 
around this general topic. Here are some ways we could go. Where would you like to begin? Well, you can't do that if you have not internalized that talk. Absolutely. All right, Jacqueline Farrington, our guest today, the non-obvious guide to better presentations, how to present like a pro virtually or in person. We just got done talking about the value of internalizing, how to rehearse so that we can really get command of our information, be able to go where we need to, where the audience, again, in service to the audience, where they need us to go. Last topic I, I want to address, and again, there is so much more in this book. You need to get this book. You need to read it. Uh, we're getting to deal with tough questions, uh, so many different aspects that we haven't got to. But the last one I want to talk about, because it happens to all of us, I think. It certainly was something that drove me, drove my audiences crazy early in my career and that I've had to work hard to address are what you call hellers. H-E-L-L-E-R-S. So what is a heller? Why do you call it that? Why they destroy your presentation and what do we do about them? Hellers is a word I use to talk about three pieces of speech. So one is hedges. They come at the beginnings of phrases and sentences. I think, I just, I guess, actually, basically. Fillers are um, you know, like they come in the middle of phrases and sentences. And then qualifiers come at the ends of phrases and sentences. Yeah, right? Am I making sense? What they tend to do is diminish what we're saying. Now, it's interesting though, that there's some research around, let's take fillers for a moment, that, that finds that when we're speaking extemporaneously, we use fillers to signal to the audience what is about to follow, what's about to come out of my mouth is complex. So pay attention. And so they do have a use. Hedges can have a use because we may want to hedge our message. We may want to say, I think. It's when they take over our speech, and particularly in public speaking, because audiences have an expectation that we have prepared, if we show up with our presentation and our speech is filled with, with hellers, it basically sends our message to hell. <laughs> it's hard to follow the speaker. It's hard to parse what they're they're saying. So it's okay to have a few. But again, like most things, don't let it overtake your content. And when you do use them, use them intentionally. Know why you're using them. Now, if you use them a lot and you'd like to get rid of them, an easy way to do that is to get what I call an um buddy. And that's just somebody who will listen to you speak, go through a part of your presentation, and they will wave their hands or drop a, a penny in a jar or clap every time you, you say one, because awareness is half the battle. You just have to know that you're doing it. And then when they let you know, hey, that was that was a filler, breathe. And when I say breathe, I mean, let go of some breath. Don't take breath, but let go of some breath because that will help relax your muscles. When we clench with the body, our brains stop and, and clench as well. So blow out some breath uh, and it'll kick in the autonomic nervous system. It'll remind the, the body, hey, you know how to breathe. You know how to do this without me thinking about it. And you'll start to breathe again. And when that starts to happen, your brain will then serve you go back and restate what you were immediately saying before you use the heller this time without it. And it, th this doesn't take very long. Pretty quickly, when people start to build that awareness 
and then they start to build the muscle memory of of speaking without it then they they tend to diminish and when i was doing my own development in this area someone shared a very similar technique as you just mentioned so i remember in uh, i was in toastmasters way back when and they they have uh, an um counter at every meeting so sometimes they're just hash marking and letting you know how many you say other times depending on the club you're a part of they'll have a bell or a clicker and yeah. so you're getting that feedback every oh and it quickly sensitizes you to that yeah but even earlier in life when i was struggling with that one of the a mentor who finally helped me conquer those to some extent she said go with silence so in this get to the breath you're taking, the exhalation and then the inhale, she said, you're trying to fill that silent, just be silent. When you feel the need to go, um, uh, uh, you know, just be silent. And it provides some of the natural pauses that actually make it easier for us to hear what, what you're saying. But so I, I don't know uh, how that lands for you. There's my qualification because I am intentionally checking. How do you feel about that as a professional coach? Yeah, I would add to that, build on that, that the the research around using a filler before we communicate a complex thought idea, we also do it to make sure that we're not interrupted. And, and so what they found is that we do it as a way of keeping our listeners with us and to signal I'm not done. And mm. Okay, that that's fine. But to, to your point, find other ways to do that. In other words, when you are using a, a voice that is engaging and, and expressive, the audience is then going to know when you're done. The same with, with body language. When you are conveying your message with your body language and your body language is congruent with your meaning and your intent, you signal to people when, when you're done. You and I, I know the audience can't see us right now, but we've been doing that as we've had this conversation. There's a little nod of the head when we, we finish a point or a slight pause with eye contact. Maybe we were speaking and looking over the side. We land that eye contact on the audience and do a little nod of our head, pause, signal that we're done. So yes, pausing, but also expressive voice and using voice and body language to indicate I'm not done or I am done. Which also helps in a virtual environment to avoid the dreaded talking over each other, oh, I, 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 you know, which we all love so much. Yeah. All right. What a great conversation here. Uh, our, again, our guest today, Jacqueline Farrington, The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro Virtually or in Person. And Jacqueline, we are at negative one minute of our time, so I apologize for running over, but what a good conversation. There's so much more we could talk about for another hour if we had it. Thank you so much for being a guest today on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Really great to be here. All right. So listeners, you've got so much, so many takeaways here, just a few avoiding those hedges, fillers or qualifiers, unless we're using them intentionally for one of the purposes Jacqueline laid out. But if I were to emphasize anything uh, of all of that we talked about, one is getting clear. So again, you've got the seven words or less internal clarity for your key message. Remember the gift. And in everything we're doing as presenters, aim for helpful, not good. Focus on, on serving our audience and be the leader you'd want your boss to be.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.